0: Praise the Lord, God is so good. Well, let's try that again. God is good all the time. time. God is good. good. Amen. Every time we say that, I remember a ministry down in Belize, Central America, and they had this whole thing, the chant, like a chant, but it did that, but it went on and on, and like for five minutes, and the whole congregation was into it. I thought, that's really cool. But uh, maybe it was cool for them and not so cool for you guys, I don't know. But uh, anyways, uh, my wife and I were away this last week and, and it was just amazing and beautiful and her parents just blessed all of their children, their kids and the spouses got to tag along, and they actually, they actually covered everything for an Alaska cruise. And so Sharon and I were away on that, and it was the cheapest cruise I've ever done. I didn't have to pay anything. It was, praise God, you know, it was awesome. <laughs> or the cheapest vacation, I should say, but uh, we're excited. And uh, I heard last Sunday was awesome, and it cranked, it was good, and yeah, so, so good. I'm excited to be here. I, I just, every time I get to be home, in our home family of Windward, I get excited. And uh, I've been ministering on the, uh, the kids, did we release the children? I think so, yeah, okay. Um, I've been ministering on the, the nine Beatitudes, and uh, I, I'm gonna try maybe to finish them up today. Let's see how we go and how it goes. And, uh, but I would encourage you, uh, again, many times in the past, I've taught on the Beatitudes, and I usually do all nine in one service. And this time, uh, we're in our eighth service of the Beatitudes. And I might do eight and nine today and finish it up. We'll see how it goes. But at the same time, I don't know. I was re-studying and rereading the Beatitudes, and revelation kept coming, and I started to process. I thought of it so differently. And, uh, and when I studied the Beatitudes before, I, I thought of it more like, uh, what should I say when my belt pack is falling off? Um, I whoopsie th- and something popped open, but I think it clipped up. Okay, good. If I, if I fall apart, please let me know. But anyways, um, I used to think of the Beatitudes kind of as a, this is the law, da-da-da-da, and it was almost negative as it, than it was in my own life. It was almost like a, things I was doing wrong instead of actually encouraging me what I need to do right. Because there's two ways of looking at laws, rules, guidelines. You can look at them as they're controlling me, or you can look at them as if I do this, they actually release me. And one thing about how I grew up in a very religious structure, uh, denominational religious structure, great, great denomination, but I grew up more getting hammered about law. And the law tells you you can't do this, so that's why you don't do it. And as I've grown and, and, I believe, matured more in God and His Word, I realized that the law wasn't there to tell you what you can't do. The law was there to help you be what you can be. So many of us are against the law or the word law, and so again we use the word guidelines, but anything in family, when you're raising children, my prayer is as parents, we raise the children, not condemning them for what they've done wrong, but releasing them to know that they're better than what they did. And the guideline is not to stop them from what they're doing wrong, but to actually empower them to do right. Right. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's like we could leave here and run down the freeway and it says maximum 100 kilometers an hour, and we get frustrated, why only 100? But actually that's a, some people think it's a guideline, that actually is a law. Okay. <laughs> it's, if you call it a guideline, it's a guideline that is strongly enforced when the police are behind you. Okay. Actually, it's not as strongly enforced. Everyone on this freeway runs 110 or 115, anyways. Matter of fact, I think I might have even done a little over 100 on my way to church. So I stay with the flow. Uh oh. It is a law. Eesh. But um, the reality is, is we can also look at it when your teenage kids first start driving for the first time, thank the Lord that, the, that they're not doing 200 out there, that hopefully people are abiding by 100. And you see, it's there to actually empower us to go farther. It might take a little longer to get there, but it's to go farther, And the guidelines in Scripture are there to actually empower us to go farther. The laws of Scripture are there to empower us to be all that we can be. It might take a little longer to do it right, but they're there for a reason and a purpose, and that's to empower you, not to condemn you. The laws of the old covenant were written because of the fall of man and the state of everything that was happening, but the original creation was never to put in a law other than one in the garden. And that was it. That's all they had to abide by was the one. And, of course, human nature and God created us with free will, it shifted and changed. But Jesus Christ now, before his death, is up on the mountain talking with his disciples, and they literally are called the bee attitudes. In other words, be this attitude and you succeed. I used to always just say, well, the Beatitudes. Yeah, but it's actually what he's saying is be this attitude and you'll receive joy, you'll receive happiness, and you'll receive the kingdom of God while here on earth. Be these attitudes and you're going to live in a level of joy that is impossible if you're not being these attitudes. You're going to live in a level of victory that could never happen if we weren't living these Beatitudes. And if we don't live and learn to do better Beatitudes 1 to 7, we're going to really bomb out on Beatitudes 8 and 9. Let me go over them briefly. Beatitude 1 is self-minded poverty. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you're poor in spirit, you have the accessibility, you have the gift of the kingdom of heaven to you at hand. What's poor in spirit? It's really self-minded poverty. It doesn't mean you walk around doom and gloom. It means that you have a self-minded poverty, so your self is poor. Your mind of self is poor in spirit, but your spirit is strong in God. Does that make sense? In other words, we don't live with a selfish agenda, my way or the highway. We actually live with his agenda, which overpowers, actually doesn't just overpower us, it actually because we're willing to submit and sacrifice our self-agenda, his powerful agenda will take its place. It'll sit there. So live in self-minded poverty. I cannot do it on my own. I need God. I need, I tell you what, I cannot do my life on my own. I need God. There's not a question in my heart or my mind at all to know that I cannot do it on my own. But you know how many years a type A-driven personality thinks that they got the gift and they do it all on their own? You know how many years I lived with that? I still battle it. That's what I'm killing every day. I'm putting it to death. Just take the lows out of my voice just a bit. I just got uh, uh, uh. Can you hear the feedback? uh, uh. I just want those, that feed out. Thanks. Blessed are the poor in spirit for those are the kingdom of heaven. I want the kingdom of heaven. I don't. So I got to be poor in spirit. It doesn't mean my spirit's poor. What it means is my self-spirit is poor. But my God spirit, my Holy Spirit that is in me, is on fire. It's in my bones. Let me out. We just sang it. Beatitude 2 is the attitude that grieves and mourns. Again, blessed are those, Matthew 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So if we take that in our human understanding, what it means is that every day you better mourn. And so some people live in mourning. Oh, it's another bad day. See, the kid was mourning right there. But the reality is that is not what the scripture, that's not what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and teach us. Yes, you lose a loved one. Of course you're going to mourn. You're going to grieve. Absolutely. I'm not saying you can't mourn. But we should mourn from an attitude of victory instead of mourn from an attitude of defeat. Every single thing that happens in life has victory and it has defeat. Everything. You have someone who drastically was killed on the freeway instantaneously, devastated. And the family is left behind, devastated. But in it, there's a victory. One, especially if that person killed was a believer in Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, I will guarantee you they are living in ultimate victory. But the second thing is to start to celebrate the good things that person has done. Even an unbeliever, I'm going to mourn that they didn't make it to heaven possibly. But what I will do is I will take the good out of it, which is I need to get back off my butt and get going and lead the people to Jesus Christ around me so I don't have to go through another thing like this. I want to be a shining light for Jesus. There's a good and a bad in everything. You go through a sickness or an illness, you can say, well, that's a bad thing. No, it's only a super bad thing if your attitude stays bad. But if your attitude stays good and you live out of victory, I will guarantee you your greatest success of overcoming a sickness, disease, or illness, or bad time in your life will be from an attitude of victory, not defeat. And if you feel defeated, you better find Jesus again. He did not leave us in defeat, He left us in victory. So blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Poor, poor me, poor me, no, no, that's not it. It's a mourning and recognition of our offenses before a loving and holy God. I mourn that I screwed up, but I won't dwell in the screw up. I am sad, I mourn, I am very bothered, I'm mourning that I sinned. And that mourning Transfers when I truly mourn properly, it transfers me into light, it transfers me into joy. So I actually don't need to mourn that anymore because I'm now transformed with a renewed mind and I'm not sinning like I was before. Second Corinthians, if you don't get all this, go back to the last seven teachings. Second Corinthians seven ten. For godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to regret, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You mourn in the sorrow of the world, it will produce death in your life. In other words, you sit and listen to fake news all the time and get depressed along with it, it'll create death in you. If it doesn't create death, the only thing that'll change if you continue listening to all the problems, 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 what you have to be strong enough to get some accountability around you, start praying into the problems and become the answer to solve the problems. But to sit and listen to negativity, negativity, lies, 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 over and over again, you will start to believe the lie that you're listening to and we cannot live in that st- if we live in that state you will become a liar to the kingdom of god beatitude 3 an attitude of meekness blessed uh, matthew 5:5 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth the meek inherit the earth the meek is to be humble submitted gentle yet strong like a racehorse in the pasture but on race day with a bright line, the worst problem in a lot of people's attitudes is they're, 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 they're going to, to have change their attitude of not being depressed, I'm going to live on fire, and they think that fire overpowers everybody else's fire around them. And they think that their way becomes the only way over leadership, over pastors, over over everybody else around them, over their own spouse, which is a bad place to live in a marriage. If you think your gift overpowers your spouse, and both of you are believers, then you have got the wrong attitude. And I guarantee you, you're going to struggle in your marriage. That's speaking to some people here and on that camera right now. I had to realize, hold it. My gift is not more powerful than my wife. People will see me ministering. They'll see me preaching. They're going to see me traveling around the world. But what about my wife? You see, we are one. I actually believe her gifting is stronger than mine. Her gifting has a firmer root, foundation in the word. If she is my, my. I want to say bouncing ball, but that sounds bad. What is that? A bouncing board. No bouncing board? Sounding board, that's what it is. She's my bouncing ball. She's my bouncing board. No, she's my sounding board. That's what I was trying to get. Guaranteed, the first one I'm going to talk to is the one who I committed my life to 30 years ago. That's the first. This right here. Right here. Because if we're in one accord, then to upgrade to a different kind of car, right? Like, isn't that how it is? If we're in one accord, then we can upgrade. We'll go to the Cadillac or go to... Not Civic. I'm not going backwards. I'm upgrading. What's the luxury car of Honda? I have no idea. Oh, I'll go in Acura. That's a sideline of Honda. Amen. Okay. But you got to be in one accord. If you're not in one accord in your marriage, you aren't upgrading. Did you hear what I said? Oh, Lexus. No, that's Toyota, isn't it? it, it even better, if you... Not, not, not Toyota, but I... Oh. Listen, listen, we need this point. We need this point. I had to make it. Again. And again and again. If we in marriage are not in accord, you are not upgrading or advancing. If you think you are over your spouse and your spouse is a believer as well, what you're actually doing is you're not living in a culture of honor, you're dishonoring the covenant of God. And when you dishonor the covenant of God, you cannot live in an upgrade moment. Hey, ay, 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 ay. Okay. Beatitude four. <laughs> if we get to attitude eight, I don't know, but let's see the Be beatitude four. It's an attitude that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. You can't hunger and thirst for righteousness till you get beatitude one, two, and three done. But most people skip beatitude one, two, and three and try to go after four. If you don't have beatitude one, two, and three done in your life, beatitude four will be up, down, up, down. Your hunger for righteousness will not be steady. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 5.20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, in other words, if your righteousness does not exceed law, then you will by no means be entering the kingdom of heaven. If your righteousness does not exceed the law, how do you exceed the law? You don't live With the mindset, the law is to tell me what I can't do. You live with the mindset that the law guides me into an intimate relationship with him to know that I don't want to do that. And because I don't want to do that, I can actually stop sin in my life. If you live under the law, like going down the freeway, how many of you, without putting your hand up, sped this morning? You broke the law. But you see, the law in the kingdom of God is a starting plane to go higher than the law, what are you saying, Brent? Higher than the Word of God? No. What I'm saying is this Bible doesn't contain the full words of God. It contains the absolutely written Word of God. But we know that the Bible also is clear that if books were written with every word that God has spoken, the world is not large enough to contain the amount of books that have been written. This is law, this isn't just guidelines. This is the law. But you see, the law on the highway is this is the maximum you can go. But the law in the word is this is the foundation, and you can go as high as you want to go. You just follow the foundation. This is the word of God, and on it I stand. And if it puts me in jail, I will stand on it in jail. And if it puts me to death, I will be a martyr for the word of God. Beatitude five, an attitude that shows mercy. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Oh, I want more mercy. Then you need to be merciful. You see, what it's saying is you can't live in the fullness of God's mercy without first releasing the mercy that God has given to you now. You have to be merciful to receive more mercy. Mercy is not an attitude of receiving, but listen. Instead, mercy is from an attitude of giving. Why? Because you have to be merciful first. You have to give mercy first before you can ever expect mercy. I'm not talking about a disaster that just happened, and you go up to the person, the widow, and say, you know what, you have to give mercy before I'm going to give you mercy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about day-to-day living That if you want to see the mercy of God increase in your life, then be the giver of mercy first. But you're giving not because you want to receive. You're giving because it's a attitude of lifestyle. But the guarantee of it is that if you give with the right attitude, you receive with his attitude attached. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus received God's mercy so he could give us his mercy so we could receive or obtain Mercy. So we can give mercy. Jesus, where did he get his mercy from? His father. His father. He hung on that cross without one swear word coming out of his mouth. No bleep, bleep, bleeps. How did he do that? How did he he get falsely accused without, well, I'm a fighter and I'm going to beat the person up because they falsely accused me? How did he falsely get accused and still be who he is and was because of the mercy of God? How could he die the most incredible death on the face of this earth? Because of God's mercy for you and for me and everybody in this world. But that mercy, he lived so well, Jesus Christ, in the mercy of his father Oh, he questioned it a couple times that we know of. Father, take this cup from me. That's a question. It's a bit of a identity question. Can I really do this, Father? But somehow or another, the mercy of God empowered him in such a way in that garden that he took the cup. And on that cross, the mercy of God Cries out through the Son, Jesus Christ, who's living in ultimate mercy. And he cries out and says, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, Father, forgive those slanderers, those false accusations against me, for they know not what they do. But if you deserve the accusation, don't cry out to Father to forgive them, cry out to Father. To forgive you. You hear what I'm saying? If your bad attitude or your problem created an accusation, you need to fix your problem. True happiness is found when we have an attitude of mercy. It's showing compassion to others and forgiving people when they might not deserve it. That's called mercy. I have to forgive people that I don't actually feel deserve it in my life, but I have to forgive them. And in that, my heart attitude with the right attitude, I'm actually showing them mercy. Beatitude 6, an attitude that turns from sin. Matthew 5 eight: blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How is it possible? Pure in heart, all have sinned. There's none pure, only God. But most people live in a continual sin, and that also makes bad choices in your life. If you make bad choices on a continual basis, I guarantee you there's a nagging continual sin in your life. Usually it creates or comes from selfishness, me-only mentality. This happens because our heart is sinful, so we must have an attitude that turns from sin. How do we do that? Change our heart. Change the desires of our heart. Jesus taught that if you want true happiness, you need an attitude that turns from sin. How do we do that? Confess our sin to God, we must forgive one another. Confessing and forgiving is not optional. It's actually not an option. Well, actually, I just just can't forgive them. That's actually not an option for a true believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to forgive someone because you need to learn something. I usually have to learn something about myself to forgive somebody that I actually feel did me wrong. And of course, I didn't do anything wrong to them. Of course not. Like everything that was wrong was them. It's very, very hard to have a conflict between one person by themselves. The only way to have a pure heart is to see God. Beatitude 7, an attitude that makes peace. You see, God is, Jesus is leading us up in these beatitudes to actually be able to handle Beatitude 8 and 9 and not just handle it but become victorious through it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I haven't always been known as a peacemaker. My old reputation was definitely not making peace. It was called a lack of identity, exasperated through a missionary kid being made fun of in high school to realize that I soon no longer told anyone my parents were missionaries. All of a sudden my parents became pilot, my dad was a pilot for Air Canada. My life became a lie to protect myself from being accused of something or laughed at. And then when people laughed, this became word number two in my life. I just became a bully. And I regret that. But it's because I didn't understand these B attitudes. And even if I understood them, I didn't apply them in my life. We need to make peace first with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to receive forgiveness from God first to actually even be able to understand forgiveness to somebody else. If we can't understand forgiving someone else even though they're our enemy or or against us, then we don't truly understand forgiveness from God. And we need to learn it more. Forgiving others is part of becoming a peacemaker. But the opposite of peace in the Bible is not war. The opposite of peace in the Bible, when you actually take that word, peace, a peacemaker, it's actually rooted from fear and anxiety. So it's not a conflict. It's actually fear and anxiety in you, which is how you overcome to be a peacemaker. You're not a peacemaker in the Word of God. Uh, sorry, in this Beatitude Seven. You're not a peacemaker by being a mediator between two conflicting parties. That's not the peacemaker this is talking about. So the world peacemaker, but that's not the peacemaker of the Bible that, that Jesus is talking about right now in this Beatitude Seven. What he's saying is, you actually need to be a peacemaker by overcoming your fear and your anxiety. When you overcome your fear and anxiety, you actually give peace before the conflict and so you're no longer trying to change a conflict and settle it down you're actually creating peace before the conflict so the conflict never happens okay let's go to beatitude <sighs> eight Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 An attitude that does not react against persecution, Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Just look to the person on your left and say, I am actually really looking forward to persecution. (laughs) A lot of you don't even want to say it. Look to the person on your right now, that was your left, right? Look to your right and say, "You are part of my persecution." No, I'm just kidding. No, no, don't.) <laughs> don't, 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 don't. <laughs> look to the person behind you and say, "Quit throwing spitballs in my hair. I'm ready to be persecuted already, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, persecuted is Dioko. It means to persecute. Ensue, follow. Given to persecute. But one of the meanings of persecution, the persecuted, this word dioko, is press forward. And I love it. I think it's awesome because in the original language in Hebrew and Greek, Hebrew is such a variety in one word. So many meanings in one word. It's why we have to have so many translators to translate the word out of Hebrew into our English language. And uh, it does mean persecuted. Persecuted. You know, blessed are you who are persecuted. It doesn't mean you go look for persecution. It just means if you're living Beatitude 1 to 7, you're probably going to have some persecution in your life. That's what it means. If you're not being persecuted in some way or another, you're probably not living in the fullness of Beatitude 1 and 7. So persecuted, 44 times this dioko is used in scriptures. Persecuted is 28 times. Six times means follow after. Four means follow Three means suffer persecution, but what I like is the whole concept that it means press forward, because if we suffer the persecution correctly, we actually are automatically pressing forward. In any way, whatever, this is part of the word, it means to harass, to trouble, to molest one, to persecute, to be mistreated. Suffer persecution on the account of something. Suffer persecution on the account of something. But that something is without the idea of hostility. So if you take a look, blessed are those who are suffering, who are accused on the account of righteousness' sake. Blessed are the people who are actually living in such righteousness, it's driving the devil nuts. Blessed are the people that have so much righteousness in them that everything that has come against them will fail because it will not get under your skin and take you out. Because the persecution that is being talked about here is not walking around depressed under all these flying arrows at you. No. It's actually living on the side of righteousness so that those arrows can never hit you in the back because righteousness has become this shield around you. It's become like the force be with you. You don't even have to have a lightsaber, but if you do, make sure this is the saber. Yeah. Vroom. Vroom. Oh, what about a shield of righteousness? That you walk as the word. You become the lightsaber. And what is, what is that, the good, was it, Lu, is it Luke Skywalker? What does his saber destroy? The bad. The enemy. And some of you... I was going to say Star Trek. That's not Star Trek, right? That's uh, Star Wars. Some of you are going to say, yeah, but he didn't win every war. (laughs) Yeah, but that's not your destiny. Your destiny is actually to live from victory so the war is already won. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the ones who literally have people coming after them in disagreement. Now, let me make sure that the ones who are disagreeing with you aren't your leadership or aren't your Bible-believing buddies and friends, and they're all in agreement of the Word of God, but they're looking at you and saying, you are so far off right now. Because some people think, yeah, that's my persecution. (laughs) Yeah, my persecution is from the religious. Actually, it's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to live in such a way that our life becomes a testimony to the religious. But better yet, don't go after the testimony of the religious, go after the testimony of the unsaved. Jesus Christ came for the unsaved, He didn't come for the saved, and He didn't come to change the religious. He did rebuke them a couple times because they went after him, you know, but, and they ended up killing him. But if he had come for the religious, he would have defeated the religious. He came for the unsaved to defeat the devil. There's many religious that could be unsaved. They have great knowledge, but they actually don't have great wisdom. They have a lot of Bible up here, but they're not applying it wisely in their life. The, the hardest thing for me is for when someone comes and meets with me and tells me all the things I'm doing wrong or all my theologies that are false, and I ask them one question, how are you and your wife doing? Oh, well, she doesn't understand. (laughs) You actually don't have the right right now to come to me. You've got to get your own life in order. You need to be preaching to yourself, not just at your wife and your pastors, and your leaders. Does that mean you have no right to come to me? No, because no one's perfect. But you do have a right to come and talk to our team. You have the right to come and talk to me, absolutely. But I prefer talking to our team. Why? Because our team is what helps keep Sharon and I on a straight and narrow path. It's not my choices and decisions alone in this place. Matter of fact, I make very few choices on my own. We make it together as a team because there's wisdom in numbers. There is. The hardest things to see is some of the five-fold ministry gifts, totally independent, zero covering, zero apostolic covering in their lives, especially the prophetic. And they're out there all on their own. They're not part of a local body because a local body doesn't understand them. But they're out there doing their thing. Well, who's your, who's your apostolic covering? God! God! Uh, who's your director? The Holy Spirit. So if you give a bad word to me, who do I talk to? God. Actually, you don't even need to talk to God because I'm already speaking God. And i got to look at him and say, dude, you are so far out of order right now. I do not want to hear what you have to say. You're so far out of order in your physical lifestyle and your mindset. I actually don't want to hear what you have to say. It could be completely accurate because I know a lot of those prophets Literally, no covering, no church. They never go anywhere, but they have an incredible accuracy. But either way, I don't want to hear it. Come talk to my team about it and let them decipher whether it's good for my ears to hear. You guys are all looking at me, oh, he's unapproachable. No, that's not what I say. You hear my heart, right? Right. I've been called false prophet how many times? I can't count. I've been told I'm a cheater. I've been told I don't know the word of God. I have no understanding of the book. You wouldn't believe what I've been told. The problem is, is they're usually not telling it to my face. They're usually telling it to everybody else. And the ones that do tell it to my face... As soon as I question them on it, oh, there's a problem in here, though. There's a dark spirit. There's something going on, you know. And it's like, no, no, I'm asking you questions. That's all. You're you're coming and talking to me and telling me what I'm wrong at. But let's open this up and let's dialogue about it. No, no, you know. It's like, guys, it's kind of like telling your spouse what they need to do, fix in their life, without hearing their perspective behind what they're doing. Without the idea of hostility, uh, this persecution that Jesus is talking about is not hostility. It's, it's You're going to be harassed if you're truly living for God. You're probably going to have a few troubles that bump into your life, whether you're living for him or not. Matter of fact, you'll probably be harassed either way. You're probably going to be persecuted. You're going to be mistreated. You, 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 hopefully you're suffering persecution on the account of something. And if it's the account of you doing something wrong, then you need to fix the wrong. But if it's on the account of Jesus Christ in you, you don't have to fix that. You just have to keep living it. Righteousness, the word righteousness in this scripture, it means integrity, virtue. So let's just read that again. Uh, Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and this is so important because a lot of people. Has anyone heard of social media? Like, there's a lot of persecution going on. Unbelievable! It's between Christians. It's it's just terrible. I mean, I remember just not that long ago, someone posted something terrible about another minister of the gospel. And I thank the Lord that that minister got on and said, "Are you aware of all the circumstances?" Are you aware? You're saying this, but are you aware of what's all happening? Doesn't mean what was going on was right or wrong, but I will tell you one thing. Persecuting someone on social media, I will tell you, is not of the Lord. And you're going to say, if you, if you're, I'm going to get some people upset at me. Remember, just email kevin at windward.ca. But <laughs> some people feel it's their mandate to go after the people that are doing wrong. Did Jesus come in a mandate to go after the Pharisees and the scribes? He did not come. That was not his mandate. He came to divide good from evil. That's what He came to do with a two-edged sword. but he did not His, his mandate was not go after the scribes or the Pharisees, the ones who should have known better. That was not his mandate. Why would it be ours? Why would you have people I don't want to say any names but there's a man that predicted the end of the world in 1994. He's a great teacher and a minister. Great theology and knowledge of the word of God. But you should read some of his books against charismatics. It's un- why would you go that route? Like, like literally we are the devil we are the Antichrist. If you speak in tongues or you do, we and he's naming all these names. I'm like, dude. Well, guess what? The end of the world didn't happen in 1994 either, or '95, his second book, or YK2. Is it 2000? YK what? What Y2K? YK2? Y2K. Remember Y2K? Was anyone alive when Y2K happened? Sharon and I and our kids were out on the island of Pompeii in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, 12 miles in diameter, and we were out there. And you know what we did as midnight rolled around? We went up onto this little hill and looked out over the bay, and the beautiful moon was shining over this tropical water. All of our kids passed their bedtime, and we had our hands in prayer when 12 o'clock midnight rolled around. And I quickly at 1201 grabbed my phone to see if it was still working. It was working. Went home, checked my laptop. It was working. All the fear that led up, you know how many, gen- it was the most amount of generators sold in history, was for Y2K. Because <laughs> the power grid's going down, do you remember? You persecuted yourself. I bet you still got the generator all dusty and hasn't run since. Just kidding. Or the water bottles or the dried food. Remember all that you could buy? I'll survive. I'm a survivor person. I got an extra. You too skinny, you die before me. I got reserve capacity. Yeah, I'm persecuting myself because I'm living in a lie at that point in time, right? Be healthy. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What did Paul do? He called it such a great privilege. It's a great honor to be persecuted. I'm like, yeah, I was squirrely upstairs. I used to cry out, God, humble me. I quit crying that out. It's funny, he seems to answer so quickly (laughs) on certain things you cry out for. The million dollar check hasn't come yet, but I've been praying that longer than make me humble. Just kidding. I'm not praying for a million dollar check. (laughs) Two million. (laughs) <laughs> I'm praying that people are faithful. Blessed are the ones who's persecuted for righteousness. Righteousness. You're persecuted for righteousness. People are coming against you because of your righteousness, not because of your attitude. but your righteousness. What does, does righteousness mean? I mentioned it earlier, integrity. They're coming, it, the ones that aren't in, have integrity in their life, they come after you because you have integrity. Your virtue is good. Your purity of life. Again, these are the meanings of the word righteousness. Your rightness you're doing right. You're actually making right decisions in life. Your correctness of thinking and feeling. And that leads to your acting correctly. If you get persecuted for those virtues, praise God, because you're a shining light. The thing is, is with persecuted, it also has the distant route to follow after. And so as these people are persecuting you and you keep living that righteous lifestyle, they're going to start to follow you because your life has become the testimony of Jesus Christ on this earth. How impressive would it be if Jesus hadn't been persecuted, which means he didn't die. He wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have been spat at. He wouldn't have had a crown of thorns on his back. He wouldn't have been mocked as a king. He wouldn't have been punched and beaten up. He was just a good man. And that would be our gospel message. Well, he was just a good man. You know how many good men and women on this earth there are and they're not believers in Jesus Christ? Because good people don't bring salvation. But he was persecuted for righteousness. Righteousness. But that distant root of persecution gave the open door to follow him because, because of why he was persecuted. Do you understand? If you're persecuted because you're wrong, repent and turn from your wicked ways. Well, I don't have any wickedness in me. I do. One of those thoughts of wickedness is that I can get away wearing skinnier jeans. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I love my daughter Jessica. I was she transitioned today. I loved it. It was awesome. It was good, <laughs> Jessica. Woo. <gasps> it was a woman on the platform. Ha ha ha. Let's just laugh at that one. (laughs) Yes, women, rise up. Rise up. And men, rise up. It's all of us together. I'll take persecution for righteousness. I've had to swallow my pride over and over again. And it leaves this huge lump. My human nature is to always retaliate, to justify my right doings instead of why I'm being persecuted. Jesus never, ever gave an easy, fluffy message for believers. He never said, guess what? If you believe on me, you're going to be saved, and it's going to be a perfect life. It's going to be so amazing. There will be no more sin. You don't have to work. There's no more thorns or thistles or mosquitoes. They'll never bite you. That's why you come to our house and we've got like a a propane powered thing and a couple lights going. Because Jesus didn't promise fluffy. You don't become a Christian to live a fluffy lifestyle. You become a Christian so you can follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and suffer. But followers of Christ will suffer persecution. The right persecution happens because of Jesus. Just because someone's persecuting you, it might not mean that you're following Jesus correctly. Again, it could be your self-ideas or your own moral values or your own standards or your own personal understanding of the word, and people come and question you. Oh, you're persecuting me. No, we're questioning you. That's all. How did you come to that understanding? Because if you're correct, we want to learn. But if you're not correct, we want you to learn, to help you, not to control you, to help you. That's what apostolic houses do. It's not a denominational structure where you have to follow our laws or our our laws, I was going to say guidelines, but they're laws to be family. You don't have to follow these laws. You're going to have diversity in you. But that diversity is what's going to give us as family strength as long as it follows the law. Now, I'm not talking old covenant law. Don't get me. It's raining messages. I'm not talking old covenant law. I take you to be my husband, to have and to hold from this one of marriage. Who's this one? Oh, it's for a marriage in Mexico. Oh, look at this one. Love is a choice, not an expectation. Oh, that's also a message for marriage never know, it falls out of the Bible when you're using it. (laughs) I'm going to call the band up. I might only get to Beatitude 8. Next Sunday will be Beatitude 9. And I call the band up because I really want to do the song, For the Sake of the World. Because we sang, For the Sake of the World, Burn a Fire in Me. For who? Who's the fire for? Oh, it's not just for you. For the sake of the world, burn a fire in me. Not for the sake of me, burn a fire in me. For the sake of the world, burn a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every eye to see. It means there's a flame in your soul waiting to be lit, or waiting to be let loose even more. When we truly live this way, we will see persecution. But for you, is that persecution for you? Or how about is it worth the persecution for one? Or for two? Or is it worth the persecution against you for ten people? Or for a hundred souls? Or a thousand or more? You're like a fire shut up in my bones, and I'm going to let you out. That's the only way you overcome persecution is by letting out the fire. In other words, be the fire. Jesus taught that if he was persecuted, then his followers will be persecuted as well. I know none of us like this message. I understand you don't like persecuted messages, We've seen the Christian faith being the most persecuted religion in the world. The first century Christians were persecuted constantly. Persecution has not actually decreased as much as partial preterism or preterism would love to have it believe that it's decreasing. I would like to believe it's decreasing, but when you look at the facts, In the last 100 years, there have been more Christians persecuted and put to death in the previous 2,000 combined. In 1,999 years, there was X number. But in the last 100 years, there's been more. There's a deep hatred that exists towards Christ and his followers. And this hatred will come from world's systems. It's gonna come possibly from the political parties. It might even come from financial institutions or worldly media. I thank the Lord that there's good godly media. The movie Unplanned is on its way, people. And we've had such amazing Christian movies that have sold out box offices. So not all world, all media is worldly. And there's been a lot of persecution from other false religions. How many understand that there's other religions that want us dead now? We're infidels to them. If we don't believe in their God, then we deserve death. That's called persecution, people. persecution is happening and according to the scripture we'll continue till Christ returns now again if you're a partial preterist theology or a preterist theology you'll believe Christ's return was at 70 AD and you can camp out on that it's not, I'm not saying that's right or wrong to camp out on that but what I am saying is that there's an expectation until the return of Jesus Christ that the Bible talks about and the expectation is that If we're actually living true, holy, godly lives, if we're living Beatitude 1 to 7, then chances are there's going to be some people out there that don't like you. That's called persecution. I don't live life for persecution. I live life from victory. But that victorious theology, that victorious lifestyle is being persecuted. I pray and hope it's not from other believers of Jesus Christ, because whether the world's getting better or getting worse, it shouldn't change the fundamentals of trueness of salvation and that Jesus Christ is returning for a spotless, wrinkle-free bride. I just want to be part of that bride. I just want to be as wrinkle-free as I can and as spotless in righteousness and purity in my life as I can. Jesus promises that when a person is persecuted for the sake of his righteous lifestyle, his righteous living, his lifestyle of righteousness, they will be blessed and favored with his joy and true happiness. So in reality, joy and happiness and kingdom living will come from some form of persecution don't run out and look for persecution that's not what i'm saying all i'm saying is live kingdom now and there's going to be some people offended but that's the best testimony you have for the offended ones and some might not follow But you've opened the door for truth to be known. And when truth is known, there's an open door to follow Jesus Christ because in your lifestyle, that's who they see. How you handle this persecution will determine how you live in joy and happiness. Or how you live in joy and happiness will determine how you deal with persecution. It goes both ways. Do you understand? Let's say it again. How you handle the persecution in your life will determine how you live in joy and happiness. If you succumb to the persecution, if the persecution makes you a bad attitude or you have to justify yourself or you have to go after the person or you have to persecute them back, I'm going to use the scripture, eye for an eye, well, they poke my eye I'm poking theirs. As a matter of fact, I'm taking both their eyes out. Then you're not living righteousness. How you handle persecution, how you handle the offense against you, how you handle bad attitudes towards you, how you handle slander against you, how you handle thought patterns of other people that don't like you, how you handle that, how you handle losing your job, how you handle having a car accident, how you handle... having a a divorce in your life or a separation, how you handle that persecution, how you handle the problems and the issues that are coming at you will determine how you live in joy and happiness. But I know the best solution to overcome every problem in life is to first choose joy. And when you choose the attitude, the heart of joy in your life, you will start to live in happiness, even if you're thrown into a fiery furnace, all bound up and tied up. There will be someone with you, and you will not get burnt. You will not be. Only thing that will burn off you is the things that have bound you and change you. And, And you know what? It's going to become a powerful testimony to the people around you. I say, you see, the Beatitude 8 was about Him. You're persecuted because of Him. Righteousness. But He ends off on the ninth Beatitude that you're blessed. less today than we were last day, or yesterday, or last week. Because he gave us the victory to actually aim a life towards righteousness. He gave us the ability not to do it on our own, but to have an attitude that literally knows that we have to have God to advance in the lifestyle of righteousness. As we sing this song and singing it earlier today, I actually felt in my heart, I saw a vision that and I thought I was going to finish both the 8 and 9 here, but I still believe what I saw and I I saw as we sing these songs, these words I should say in this song, for the sake of the world burn a fire in me. That that was a call for all of us. And if we're singing this song, I want it to be like a, a Billy Graham doing an evangelistic altar call. For the sake of the world, burn a fire in me. But it's not Billy Graham. It's the call of Jesus Christ. Let him stand on this platform. Let him be the one calling you, calling me. For the sake of the call for the sake of the world burn a fire in me light the light a flame in my soul for every eye to see do we believe he can do that do we believe we have the ability to release that in our own life i want to encourage you as we sing this if you feel the presence of the lord on you i want you to come up front And I want you to sing it out to Him like you're asking Him to do this in you. When I sing this song, I'm gonna sing it for my sake, for me, for my life. For the sake of the world, burn a fire in me. Not for the sake of my own right self-righteousness, not for the sake of me being right or me being wrong. For the sake of the world, burn a fire in me. Light the flame in my soul for every eye to see. Be like a fire shut up in my bones. I'm going to let you out, fire. I'm going to let you out, Holy Spirit. Because I guarantee you, the amount of fire that is in you and in me as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, is more than we're letting out. There's a lot waiting to come out. Today, let's make the commitment. I'm letting you out. God, I'm letting you, let the Holy Spirit, I'm letting you out. You're not there just for me. You're there to transform me so I can be transformation, testimony to the world. Let me be a light, a light shining for your glory. Let me be a light of righteousness, truth, integrity in my own life. Let me be that integrity in my own marriage. Let me be that integrity in my own family. And let me be that integrity in my own church. And let me be the integrity in the churches of Windward Sea. Let me be that fire, Father. And I pray that every one of us in this room watching on TV right now will become brighter.